Hi, everyone. I'm here today with uh, Nicholas Enzinger. Um, Nicholas, how are you today? Great. How are you, Richard? I'm doing okay. Uh, so I just want you to, can you just introduce yourself to, to the audience? Who are you and what do you do? Sure. My name is Nicholas. I'm originally from Germany and now I live in Prospera, which is a beautiful on a beautiful island called the Rotan. That's part of the country of Honduras. And originally, um, I was in academia and public policy think tanks, similar to you. I was an intern at the American Enterprise Institute and was about to do my PhD until a good mentor to mine told me, Nicholas, don't do that. You're too entrepreneurial. Get a real job. Hmm. So instead, I went into startups and technology and entrepreneurship for five years. And I had a really good run in the Berlin startup scene and learned the ropes of starting companies. And then I went out to find what's the biggest, most ambitious possible mission I could go on to build my own company. And that's how I, through some twists and turns, ended up in Prospera to start a VC fund. Yeah. So Prospera, so how many people live in Prospera? I would say about 100 continuously. Yeah. So Prospera, for those who don't know, I've had Mark Lutter on the show uh, show before. He's from the Charter Cities Institute. Uh, Prospera is a... um, um, is a, a city in Honduras. It's a charter city, which means you guys made up your own rules, uh, your own laws, and you went down there. And basically, you're trying to um, how do you describe the mission? You're trying to build something free from government regulations uh, that hinder progress and growth, and trying to build something something new. Is, is that you know? Is, is that how you understand the mission? Some of these things, but the most important mission is to develop an economic development model that lifts Hondurans out of poverty. So it's in a special economic zone, right? So comparable to Dubai, to some degree Hong Kong. And the example one I am led is like Shenzhen, China or Singapore, sort of by bringing new or better institutional rules, rule of law, private property and common law. Uh, We want to provide better institutions for doing business and for a city uh, and the country to grow and increase or add to its GDP and create employment. And we believe the best way, our Prosper believes the best way to do this is through rule of law and to um, low light regulation, but not no regulation. So it's a common law-based approach that um, defaults to saying yes, but then if something happens, then you're liable instead of sort of the pre-market approval type statutory law where you have to get approvals or environmental impact assessments or anything before you're able to do anything. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. You're building something that can be an inspiration to others. If you have one city in a country that's very successful, people are going to look at that city and say, hey, can we, you know, we want to, we want something like that. So yeah, you reached out to me about being on your podcast. Um, We just recorded it. And, you know, I just thought that the mission of Prospera, I've always been interested in charter cities, um, was very interesting. So I just wanted to talk to you as one of the, you know, 100 people um, who are, uh, um, you know, who are living there now. Um, and, you know, we'll get to sort of the details of life in, in Prospera, but, but for now, I just want an update on the legal situation. So there was a, there were the former government, uh, from my understanding is they let you guys come set up shop there. Then the, there was an election and the new government was more hostile. So what's the, what's the situation now? Yeah, yeah. So the history of the ZEDE law, what it's called in Honduras, which allows these special economic zones, goes back to somewhere like 2009. In 2013, the law was enshrined in the constitution with very strong protections for investors. 
And in 2017, the first three zones were created. And Prospera, which is one of three special economic zones, or of ZA specifically in Honduras, has opened in about 2020. So, but there was a new government in place, uh, voted in last year, a very far left government, that basically said that everything the previous government did is wrong and we don't want these zones and we want to undo them. But what they weren't that aware of was that the protections for these zones are very strong, right? So they're tied to both national and international investment treaties and have legal protections for up to 50 years. So legally, we're allowed to continue to operate. So the only thing the government really did is doing a lot of hostile rhetoric and they tried to repeal the law in Congress that allows for more of these zones, but it doesn't apply retroactively to existing zones. And now even that repeal hangs in the balance, right? So the government got under a lot of pressure. It did a lot of things that were very bad from the country. A lot of people are leaving the country because it's very increasingly hostile to doing business. So that makes the appetite on the government side to take strong actions to confirm the repeal of the ZA law much more unlikely, right? So they're actually scheduled to having to confirm the repeal and there's absolutely nothing happening and they don't have a majority in Congress anymore. So there's a possibility that we could even more of these zones in the future and um, potentially even after this government is out having a more friendly political situation. But just legally speaking, we have the full legal rights under the special economic zone framework and the government is more using hostile rhetoric against us rather than concrete legal action. Okay, so that's encouraging. So they weren't even going to get rid of you guys. They were just going to stop new ones from coming, but that might not even happen. They might not um, repeal the law, in which case we can get more prosperous. So there's there's three of them now, you say? Yeah, there's three. So another one is called Ciudad Morazan, which is on the mainland Honduras. So you have to know prosperous on an island called Roatan, with an international airport and direct flights from many U.S. destinations. And the island is super safe, right? It's safer than most U.S. planes, the most yeah, of the United States. Yeah, there's a hundred of you nerds there, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the island, but the island is also very safe for tourism, right? So it has a population of like 50 to 100,000 people, and it's very popular with tourism, right? With cruise ships. So they, they live around the city. Where are you in the city relative to the people? Yeah, so imagine uh, Roatan is about the size of Hong Kong and Prospera has land about the size of Monaco, right? So you could fit a couple of tens of thousands of people in there and it's in about the center of the island. Mm. Interestingly, it also owns territory in the northern part of the island that's uninhabited. And it also owns land on the mainland in La Ceiba that is connected to a port, right? And Prospera is building like a manufacturing hub with a port there as well. So it's discontinuous territory, which is so interesting about the Honduran special economic zones. Uh, okay. And I'll try to find, if you send me a map, if, I'll try to find one. If you have a good map, uh, I'll include with the show notes. Uh, uh, so yeah, so, you know, that's, that's, a, that's all interesting. Yeah, we'll put that, we'll put that in the notes. Um, and so that, that's great. I mean, so you're, you're confident in the long-term survival of Prospera. I get, so it's the, the court is, is it the courts the courts are gonna you know the you feel confident in the legal guarantees that were given to investors yes conf- very confident like i'm not saying there's no risk um that they will do anything against it right so there's still kind of a supreme court play that they want to do after all we're facing a hostile government right no sugar yeah. coating when's the next but election right now the situation in about two and a half years so we uh, still have a time to wait but governments are only able to do things the first six to 12 months anyway and yeah. now they're already phasing out 
Yeah, good for good for you, good for you guys. Uh, okay, so you're one of a uh, hundred people. Um, you know, do you have you have all the amenities? You have electricity, Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're not washing machines. Everything. It's no, a good, no. It's a so good, it's, <laughs> it's a good standard. Yeah, I mean. Very good center of living. So Prospera, the part that's the most central location, is kind of divided into two, right? And one is the greenfield side. So there was nothing there before, and everything is built from scratch. There's a co-working space. There's a circular factory where robots are building construction materials on site. And there's also a big residential tower that's close to finished that will have like drone delivery on top which is where many of the residents will move in. And then the other part of it, which is just adjacent, is a full ready-made resort that Prospera bought because it was a stranded asset due to COVID. And that resort has a very high level of amenities, like four-star hotels, restaurants, private beaches, you know, anything you could wish for. I'm basically living in a villa right now with terrific views over a tropical paradise. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. So there's 100 of you. How many are there uh, any women, children? Yeah, so there is a school, a Montessori school, and there is, I think last time I checked, 32 children that are in there, right? So some of which are children of people that live in here, for example, of the CEO, Eric Brimmen, but then also the children of other local families around, right? So we also have very good relations with local community here. When I say 100, that's more like the Prospera people, but there's probably a 1,000 people who are indirectly benefiting from like jobs, like construction work or like Hondurans that live in neighboring villages that make up part of prosperous stuff, right? So security guards, drivers, cooks, also entrepreneurs, right? So there is a significant community of Hondurans, both from the island and from the mainland, who are forming actually the majority in Prospera. So about 70 to 80% of people living there is Honduran. Right, so it's not like a foreign enclave or something like that. For Ciudad Morazan, by the way, the other ZA has about ninety nine percent Hondurans. <laughs> Wait, so out of the hundred people, you say seventy eighty percent are Honduran? So there's only twenty four. Yeah, I would say you're, so. You're one of only twenty foreigners who live like there. The official resident count of all like residents and e residents, which includes like the entire international community, is sixty five percent Honduran. And I would say on the ground, it's a higher number of Hondurans, a higher share, so about seventy to eighty percent. Uh-huh. So you're one of like 20 foreigners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. Okay. So you have a, what industries so you have? So you have, um, you have the, the factory that's building construction materials. Are there any, so you're, you're doing VC there. What does that, what does that entail? Yeah, so I was there and I already saw companies that were using the favorable Prosper regulations to build businesses. So one I just mentioned, right? So you have much lower costs for like building permits and things like that and lower materials imports costs and just a jurisdiction that's more open-minded to using modern technology in the construction process. Another one is a drone startup. Right. So they're going to deliver stuff from the mainland from La Ceiba to the residential tower. So you don't have the problem of like um, out of sight regulations that someone needs to be there watching it uh, drone at all times. And then the third one is probably one of the most uh, interesting use cases. So it's a startup that does gene therapy. Right. It's a biotech startup that is originally from Austin, from the United States. They spend about two months a year here. They bring in patients to do clinical trials with a local clinic. And the clinic is led by American doctors who also have an IRB, meaning they can have oversight over clinical trials. So they can do clinical trials there for a fraction of the cost while fully FDA compliant, right? basically just cutting on the bureaucracy and the red tape. 
And not only that, they can actually also give the therapy to uh, medical tourists, people that visit. And in fact, they have done so for um, like one very prominent person that I'm not sure yet if he wants me to mention in public, but um, we want to make it a medical tourism hub in the future for these very advanced longevity or wow. therapies. What is the, what is the, what is the therapy? Is it a specific kind of uh, uh, treatment? Yeah, it's it's called follistatin gene therapy. So the founders call it the mac and cheese of gene therapy. It's kind of the safest, most proven one, right? So it strengthens your bone strength and muscle growth, right? So it's widely applicable to almost anyone. And it has a history of like 30 plus years in human and animal trials. But there's like this one specific engineering method to keep it in the human body for a longer period of time. There was a challenge. So they found a way to keep it in the human body. Originally, it was only possible for 72 hours. They can do it for two years. Oh. Not only that, they also have like a kill switch, right? So there is this antibiotic that's over the counter that you can take and then you completely stop the effect of the gene therapy if for any reason you feel uncomfortable or you don't want to anymore. Wait, so this this uh, makes you stronger and helps your bones. Um, yeah, yeah. And we know it works. It has good uh, clinical data behind it. And this is we illegal. We very likely know that it's safe, right? So there's been no side effects, right? There's but no the first effect. clinical is like 44 people and there have been no reported side effects also in previous studies how effective it is for that you need large amounts of studies uh -huh. the and company is called mini circle by the way so you there's a couple of documentation uh, about them where they're also soon publishing their results from the first trial oh yeah there was a documentary yeah i started to watch it but then i didn't i didn't i should yeah go back to that um mm -hmm. and uh so you can't just give this to a person in the united states there's some law why can't you just do it in the u.s well, because of the FDA, right? <laughs> so yeah. um, it has to go through a larger number of clinical trials, four stages in total, which take on average about 10 years and cost several hundreds of millions of dollars, yeah. which is a big problem, right? Because that undermines or makes it very hard to innovate in this space. Have, right? you, and have, you, often have, people, have you got this treatment? I'm getting it actually in three weeks, yes. Okay. And many multiple people here got it. What do they do? They just give you a shot? Yeah, it's an injection into the body fat. Uh-huh. Interesting. And what, what do you do? You, there, is there, there's no side effects, no nausea, no, 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 like getting a vaccine, no nothing, just nothing. No, so far there have not been any reported side effects. Some people say they've had a great effect. Others say they didn't see much of an effect yet. Right. So the effectiveness is another question, but on the safety side, there's been no side effects. Okay. Interesting. So you're, are you going to participate in the study? I think it's not part of the study, right? Because, um, I'm traveling a lot, so it's very hard to get my blood work done each month, right? So if you want to take part in the study, you need to get your blood work done for six months, ideally in the same place. Uh -huh. So um, they, so I'm probably getting it just as a, as a nice um, sort of bonus for the work uh, we've been doing together. And how much can you, how much does this cost? Uh, I think their indicative pricing was 25000 but I don't think it's official. They're wow. probably still for, figuring out. Yeah, for one shot. Mm-mm. If it makes you stronger for two years, yeah, I would take that. <laughs> That's that is so interesting. Okay, is yeah, this is this is amazing. Do you, is there anything? Do you know if there's anything else uh, in the works like this? Yeah, so I think that's the most advanced one for now. But on November 17 to 19, we're doing a bigger conference. So right now we have already more than 40 people signed up, right? So including very famous longevity scientists. 
And there's some other couple of other companies that do biotech there. So, for example, like genetically engineered mouth bacteria that get rid of cavities for the rest of your life. Uh-huh. Right. So and so there's a bunch of stuff like that and a couple of biotech companies that are attracted to doing more clinical trials there. We also do like a two month long biotech pop up village in January and February where we bring like 150 people. So it's really my ambition that next year we're starting like 15 to 20 companies there that can do clinical trials there and or medical tourism couples. Yeah, that's amazing. that's amazing. Well, tell me more about this. What are the, what are this back these bacteria that clean your cap that clean your cavities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lantern Bioworks, right? So Aaron Silverbrook. So um, he's also a friend of Scott Alexander's and Ayala. And um, so I only know the story that the trials have been actually conducted in the 80s about that method, um, but it was um, for mysterious reasons, then didn't get the final approval or something, maybe because it would put dentists out of work. <laughs> right? I'm just speculating here, so I can't say anything about the science and how robust it is. But um, from what I know, the guy seems credible to me, and we're going we're gonna to talk more when he's here. Hmm. Interesting. This is interesting. Okay. So yeah, medical, tu- medical tourism, that, that seems like it could be just, you guys can just focus on that. I mean, that could be huge. There's a lot of things people want to do that they can't, yeah. um, you know, that they can't in the U S and other developed countries. Um, are you guys, uh, do you guys do like, is anyone down there doing like human challenge trials? Uh, it's not as far as I know, right? So for that, like for anything, someone would have to take the responsibility on the PR side, yeah. right? So we're already, like we would do like a nuclear reactor here already if it wasn't, there's always like an entrepreneur who needs to own it, right? And, you know, if you do too many things out of, out of the overton window, you give yourself too much room to be attacked, right? So I can understand that there's a bit of, um, from a prosper angle, that's kind of what they want to be all about to make these things possible while safe, right? Because there is common law, right? You're liable for damages and, you know, you can't commit a crime, right? There is rule of law, like anywhere. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, you can't do too many things out of the ocean window. What Prosper CEO Eric Brimman sometimes calls it, he calls it Maya, most advanced yet acceptable, mm. right? So most of these things are fair game, especially human challenge trials to me should be uncontroversial, yeah. right? But it also always needs someone who owns it, who makes that argument to the public and who's confident mm. to to be out there yeah. and advocate for it. Well, what's the nuclear re- reactor idea? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is many things out there that startups are providing, mm. some of which... Isn't the worry about nuclear reactor that it blows place. up? Is, isn't that the, the concern? Yeah, but not really <laughs> you don't think it's real? right i mean uh, if you've talked to brett kugelmas before right we have run the experiments there have been three nuclear meltdowns in history of light water reactors uh-huh. which general wasn't and almost all nuclear reactors are light water reactors and in all these three incidents not a single person has been harmed uh-huh. right sort of to really get damaged by nuclear mm-hmm. radiation from a meltdown you'd have to drink the cooling water oh you think right? nuclear so, meltdowns are not are, are uh, no big deal yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't people die? Didn't people die in the Three Mile Island and all these? Or no? No. Chernobyl. Nobody died, nobody died in Chernobyl. Very good. Chernobyl wasn't a light water reactor, uh-huh. right? and there was a whole different chain of reasons. I did an episode of my podcast, Renner Technologies podcast, episodes twenty uh, thirty five with Brad Kugelmas, who really yeah. blazes through that history, and it's super interesting. Honestly, also the reasons why there was this perception of a nuclear as unsafe is something that was just far from 
that was just very artificially created, much of it by the nuclear industry itself. So that's a very interesting history. But no, nuclear power is vastly safe. It's really a silver bullet to solve our energy issues mm. in a very clean and very safe way. Yeah. So do you guys have? Um, so do you guys have uh, government workers? You have like who? Who gives? Mm. Like you said, did you mentioned building permits, business permits. Who handles that? Is there like one person who does all this stuff? Yeah, so there's an entity called Prospera Zede, which is basically the jurisdiction, right? So that jurisdiction is under laws. And then there's a zone operator, right? And that zone operator is a private company. So the whole idea, it's literally a Delaware C-Corp that raised VC funding. So the whole idea in uh, Robin Hansen's word is, is why not for-profit government? Yeah. Right. So it is a for-profit business entity that's handing out these permits and they're responsible to do it in an efficient way. Otherwise they don't get business or make money. Yeah. And is the, and the, uh, and there's a, like a, is they, do they handle everything? You say this one corporation handles, they handle police work too? Um, yes, but in practice, they also try to outsource as much as possible. So they're really trying to do the minimalist, minimalist um, possible, right? Security on the island is done privately anyway, right? It's really funny on the island because there are available private security services and they're the ones who are really friendly and who are really like smiling all the time. And then there's like the public police that is really annoying, that is really tedious and is really corrupt and is trying to get money out of you. And yeah. Prosperous is hiring private security guards like any other company on the island. And when it comes to much of sort of the bureaucratic and legal work, they're also trying to outsource it as much as possible to private attorneys, right? So there's like law firms that help you with getting your liability insurance or that are your registered agent when you have a company and things like that. So, um, so how Prosper would describe it is that they are platform, right? They are providing sort of the minimal level of this is the rules of the game. This is the law. And here's like a digital platform. And they literally copied Estonia. The same guy who built the Estonia e-residency platform also built it for Prospera, where it's just very easy to, you know, do your taxes, to file documents, to get licenses, to register a company and things like that. Yeah. And you, and you're involved in like, uh, so what's, what's your day-to-day like? Are you involved in the governance? Who you have, you guys have a mayor, you have a city council. How does that work? Yeah. Um, I'm so I'm not part of Prosper, right? I have a VC fund that's separate, but of course I'm very close to almost everyone who's involved here, right? So I'm not officially part of any governments, no. And I don't want to be, right? Do I want to decide on, you know, how they do their PR or what land they buy next? No, right? That's their risk that they're taking, and I'm a happy consumer and buyer of their product, right? And I can I know I can talk directly to the mayor. His name is Jorge Colindres who is a brilliant Honduran lawyer, one of my favorite people and a good friend here. So there is like a um, mayor, right? So the mayor has to be Honduran. It's called a technical secretary. Mm -hmm. And then there is, uh, I think it's called like a governing council or something like that. Uh, And that has nine seats. And five of these seats are basically by the operator, by Prospera. And the other ones are elected, right? But it only like kicks in after something like 20 years. So basically this way, there's a lot of stability guarantee for the first 20 something years. So um, Prosper can basically do their work. And then there's sort of a minimalist democratic check um, to power. Sort of if you get a majority of um, citizens that vote for it and someone from inside, then you can basically vote Prosper out and have someone else operate the zone Mm -hmm. instead. So right now you have five guys from Prospera. 
and then uh, in 20 years you're going to add four uh, <laughs> four people that are going to vote the, that are going to be based on elections. I see. And then they would they would still Prospero would still have a majority, but I guess it would be closer to. Yeah, uh, you'd have to convince someone from the inside that what they're doing is is not right or whatever. Uh huh. Inter- yeah, interesting. Okay, so how many people are like actually, um, like you know, like uh, so the, the, you say the mayor is Honduran, so the mayor is uh, living in in Pro- Prospera. I mean, you guys must yeah. all know each other. I mean, you guys must all. There's only a hundred of you. You guys must all know each other. Um, you know, there must be. Are people moving in, or is is it is there plans to grow in the immediate future? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's why, so I've run like six conferences by now. I've brought about 200 people, right? So at least half of them were Honduran, like entrepreneurs from the mainland and the other half international. Yeah, and some of them have decided to stay to become part of the community. I think what's really been missing so far is affordable real estate, right? Mm -hmm. So the island is, as I mentioned, is a pretty good standard, but it's also relatively expensive, right? And housing and construction is difficult on the island for the same reason that it is in other places around the world, you know, housing regulation. Um, So Prosper is really, um, you know, now with the Duna Tower that's being finished soon, we can take up to 150 more residents for a very affordable price. Aren't you you guys the law? Why, why Why is housing hard? Why don't you be... Well, that's what we're changing, right? We Uh just haven't been um, fast enough. Uh Um, Like the Duna construction tower was actually had delays in construction, unfortunately. And that was because um, the government really scared away a lot of people. So there's a huge wave of emigration, especially of skilled construction workers. And that hit us hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what if I want to, could I just come to Prosper now and build a house and live there? Yeah, that would be pretty easy to do. And, and I assume it's cheap by American standards, right? Yeah, it's probably cheap by American standards. Like I'm um, buying an apartment for 100K when it's like a one bedroom with ocean views. So, yeah. Wow. And so you got 100K. How many square feet? Uh, I think 42 or 45. 4,500? 45 square meters. So I don't know what it oh, is. I don't know what that is. What is that? <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm, let me, I'm let's European. Google this because I, I need the 45 square meters to square feet. Let's see what that means. 484. Okay, so that's not that's not too big for uh, my fellow yeah, Americans, yeah. but, oh, you know, oceanfront, that'll... 484, huh? Hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. That's also, not. I mean, that's not. That's not nothing. That's yeah, nothing yeah. Also, has a nice rooftop terrace, a gym, a co-working space, wow. and retail space, and um, drone delivery on top. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. This is this is high luxury. I mean, for it's a small, it's a small apartment. I mean, people in America context, it's like a studio apartment, right? Yeah, but it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a you know something like that. I don't know what it would cost you in New York City or something, but a lot of a lot of money. Um, yeah, a lot yeah. More than a lot more than hundred thousand, I would guess. Uh, okay, that's cool. What if I wanted to? Is there enough land? If I just wanted to buy land and build a house, could, could you do that? Yeah, I mean, you can buy. Um, so, so the short answer is yes. But on the technical details as to who you speak to, I would be a bit. That would be a bit above me, right? So before the new government, it was also possible to just buy land on the island or any or any or in places in Honduras that fit the criteria. And then you could incorporate that land in Prospera, right? So, which is in fact what, for example, that one clinic where the clinical trials happen has done, right? So they are under the Prospera jurisdiction, even though they're not physically in 
um, that part of the territory where most of the rest of Prosper is taking place. That with the new government right now, that's a bit difficult. Um, but the short answer is you can also buy land or lease land within Prosper and build something there, yes. Mm-hmm. So you can buy either buy land within Prospera or you can uh, try to be incorporated, but that might be hard. How many and yeah, how, yeah. how many like square miles is Prospera? Um, square miles again. Give me kilometers. I'll translate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the um, the continuous territory in Prosper is about 500 acres, right? So that's about the size of Monaco. And I think then it has another like 500 acres in the north of the island. And I think the territory on the mainland is also about 500 mm-hmm. acres. So about like 1,500. I heard at some point also like 2,000 acres or something yeah. like that. So it says the whole island here on the Prosper website is 32 uh, square miles. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, and so what percentage of the what percentage of the island are you guys Prospera? Should be a small percentage. I don't think it's more than one percent. Uh huh. Okay, so it's pretty. It's a very small city. Then it sounds like, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the territory is about, or the land has about the size of Monaco. So if it was densely populated, you could fit about forty, fifty thousand people there. So Monaco square miles, it's a zero point eight. Okay, I had no idea Monaco was that was that small. Uh, so Monaco is po- po- so point eight. So you're not you're not a you're not a square mile. Wow. So that's yeah, that's very small. Uh, the hope must be that eventually you yeah. expand, right? It'd Which nice is also the interesting it. thing with the Honduran zones because there's a very easy and clear process how to expand, right? If you buy new land and make it part of your jurisdiction, and the island has the size of Hong Kong, right? So the goal is to be for this to be tremendously valuable to Honduras and Hondurans and generates like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs. And then through voluntary adoption, um, you know, the island can become another Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, let me look at the, uh, uh, the island is, um, it's, uh, what is the, um, what's the island called? Roatan, R-O-A-T-A-N. Roatan Island in Honduras. Okay, yeah, this is like a sort of Cuba, it's shaped like Cuba, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Okay, cool. And Prospera is like where exactly? It's a north, like in north, south, east, west. Uh, pretty much in the middle. So if you zoom down, um, you should see um, Pristine Bay, Crawfish uh-huh. Rock. Uh, I see it. You just you just put it into Google and it finds it for you. Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. So. Um, Okay, so it's if you if you have the the population, so if you are as uh, crowded as Monaco, it says here that that's thirty. It's that has about thirty eight thousand or thirty two thousand people, something like that. That's the that's the uh, that's the aim. You're hoping yeah. to eventually get there. Well, you eventually want to get bigger, right? Okay. So much larger part of the island. Also, the interesting thing about Prosper as a business model is they don't want to be defined by that city. They want to build more cities. Right, so they're negotiating with. They could do it in other parts of the country in Honduras. They're in fact also negotiating with other governments in other parts of the world, including West Africa, for example. Right, so the idea is that you become like a protocol to run governance, and then you can offer that in partnerships with government. Hey, give me a special economic zone, and then we can build you like a Singapore in a box. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. That is an amazing. That is an amazing ambition. Um, and the third world needs it. I mean, there's so little hope now these days. It's it just, you know, there was decolonization and there was like, and you know, then some countries, you know, that were poor 
you know, became more prosperous, but many didn't. I mean, many in Latin America and Africa, you know, Middle East just, just stagnated. Um, and there's not like there's a new idea out there, right? It's just the whole, you know, ne- the, like the West pushes neoliberalism and some people push back on that, but it seems like a very stale kind of debate that nobody, there's no like third world leaders that have like new ideas, right? There's no, uh, uh, like Eva Peron, right? There's nothing like that or like, you know, Baathism or, or something that's like, you know, or, uh, you know, or Castro, like in the early days of coming, nothing optimistic, right? Like Maduro, like you have this socialist and people just know that they're just going to fail like all the other socialists. So there's nothing there. Um, and then I think people, you know, they have the market pro market people, but nobody knows how to, how to sort of get there, right? Well, I think you can build something very successful in quiet ways, right? I mean, I would say Dubai was relatively quiet. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure people didn't talk much about Hong Kong or Singapore or Shenzhen yeah. like 10 to 15 years in when it was already developing, right? So it didn't need to have that ideological support, really. Yeah. Also, one country that's doing really well and to no small degree due to special economic zones in Latin America is Uruguay. Uruguay has like a program for special economic zones. It has one agency. It has a very easy streamlined application process. You could go mm-hmm. online and start an application to get a special economic zones. And I'm in fact talking to like um, several people who get who is still getting approved for more special economic zones. There's one that's called um, Zona America, which is I think one of the biggest special economic zones on the continent, and generating mm-hmm. like a significant number of um, Uruguay's GDP and exports. Right, so you know it doesn't have to be like a flashy mm. ideological thing. It's just very pragmatic and providing an environment to do business and get to work. So what happened? In, I'm looking at Paraguay's economic growth. So in 2002, their GDP per capita was one thousand three hundred dollars. In 2014, it was six thousand six hundred twenty-nine. So in 13 years, they increased you know five or six times. It's stagnated since 2013. Their GDP has actually gone down. Do you know what's going on in Paraguay? You're talking Uruguay or Paraguay? Oh, oh, Par- oh I thought you said Paraguay. No, you're Ur- Uruguay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, Uruguay. Okay, yeah. Let's look at Ur- Uruguay. Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah. Year, okay. So check from like 2000 um, something wow, to now. Wow, so went from 3600 in 2003. To uh, eighteen thousand seven hundred sixty-nine. That's an economic success story. It's gone down a little bit. I guess this is all COVID, right? All these countries go down. It's at seventeen thousand. So yeah, it's had some. Looks like had some impressive growth. Um, okay, and you say it's very easy. You say anyone can. If you just like have a company, you could set up in a special economic zone. You could do something close to mm. Prospera. Uh, in Uruguay, it's more limited, right? So in Uruguay, you ha- don't have as much of like legal or regulatory autonomy. These zones are more optimized for export and production. So if you're exporting things, you get a lot of tax advantages. A lot of the processes are streamlined to export and energy is super cheap. So that's really interesting. If you want to produce like biopharmaceuticals, I talked to a guy who's producing cannabis and, um, and things like that, but for export, right? So you wouldn't be able to use it for domestic consumption, for example. So um, Prospera could do more. The zones have much mm. higher degrees of like legal and regulatory autonomy. So you can do more in these zones. So if Honduras does it well and we get back on a path of like friendly relations with the government, then Honduras could surpass and do it better than Uruguay even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So the Uruguay, you can't build like a city. You can just have a special economic zone, which you can export from, but you can't also sell to natives. You have to, you're just, you're just doing industry. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to actually visit Uruguay to answer these questions in more detail. You can have residents. I don't think you can tax them or like have taxes or something like that. I also don't think you can have like, you know, medical um, clinical trials or something like that. And it's probably the same regulations that apply like to aviation or drones. Um, but but yeah, in these zones, they're mostly interesting for like from a tax, from an export and production perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are the so what are the laws like now in Honduras? If you earn money there, your VC, you pay. Well, I mean, you pay taxes to the Honduran government too, I assume. Yeah, yeah. So um, Honduras, like many countries that are poor, suffers from very bad institutions, from corruption, which is often due to bad laws. Right. We were talking about legal systems before. It's very hard to open a bank account. It's very hard to start a business. It's very hard to just pay your taxes. So there's a huge black market and a large number of the population doesn't pay taxes. And there's a large informal sector because the formal institutions are so hard to access, which then makes it very hard to access like financial instruments like loans or, you know, collateralize your assets because they're not direct registered. So that's like the classic, um, the classic problem. And also like laws around like sales taxes are really high and, um, importing is like i was just coming from the airport and i met a friend of mine and they held them at the airport for two days because they were importing like a very small amount of jewelry that mm. they bought for his wife's local store so it's just a very bad environment to do business and be an entrepreneur which is part of the reason that sort of we believe by importing um, good rules good governance and having a corruption-free environment, you can really unleash the talent and potential of, of a place like Honduras. Hmm. The guy was held for two days at the airport. Why? They, they wanted to see if it was smuggling or something? Yeah, I mean, you need to pay, I think, like 20% import tax or something like that. And then they, of course, wanted to see how much has it is it worth. And then you need to file all these papers and everything takes forever. And then at the end of the day, they were like, oh, we made a mistake filing the form. Mind you, they made the mistake. You have to stay for one day longer. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, oh, come on. What a, what a nightmare. Yeah. Do you spend... Uh... Do you spend time in like Honduras proper or are you just uh, around the island in Prospera? Yeah, I spent time in the mainland. In fact, I was there on the trip last week. Mm -hmm. So uh, especially in San Pedro Sula, because this is where most of the business and the entrepreneurship is taking place, right? I'm a VC, so I want to tap into and help build a tech and startup ecosystem in Honduras. Right, there were a couple of things happening, but there's been no institutional VC investment. I made the first institutional VC investment. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking to like startups and their entrepreneurs and like, you know, encourage them to think big. I show them how Delaware C Corps work and how safe investments work. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's just very exciting for me because uh, just, you just see how much of a difference that can make in the, in the lives of people. And you got to start somewhere, right? So, you know, back in like 2011, Latin America didn't have a single VC uh, company, right? A friend of mine started one of the first ones, a company called Mexican VC. So it's starting somewhere. And now you see unicorns all over the place in like Mexico and other parts of Latin America. And we can build that in Honduras too within the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is pretty incredible. So the, there's two other um, uh, there's two other you say charter cities. Um, where are they at? Do they have what's their population? 
How are they doing? Yeah. So there's going to be super interesting cases, right? One is called Okidea, and they're a bit more like the Uruguay model, right? So they don't have huge ambitions to be their own city or residence, as far as I know. They try to stay very quiet because they believe that the government could do a lot against them because with exports and imports, they kind of have levers with customs, right? So mm-hmm. they, they want to be very quiet. But from what I hear, the business is very profitable. So they're exporting like fruit and vegetables and things like that. The one that's really interesting is Ciudad Morazan, right? So Ciudad Morazan is very different to Prospera. They're not like on a paradise island that's very attractive for foreigners to visit. They're in a very unattractive part of the country, a place close to Choloma, which is one of the most dangerous regions in Honduras, Mm -hmm. and by extension, one of the most dangerous regions in the world. And what they effectively built is a gated community for poor people. Mm. Right. So uh, you can rent a one family sized house for $120 a month and have basic security services and, uh, Mm. you know, a roof uh, (laughs) on top of you. And it's brilliant and it's completely sold out. It's completely populated and has a huge wait list of uh, mostly poor blue collar working Hondurans. Who are there and raising families? Doing and and small they're, their stores. Own, they're their own city. That they have their they're like Prospera. Yeah, yeah. So they have their full own city. Their ambition is to be kind of industrial zones, right? So you have workers or ta- or like company towns in a way, right? But in ways that are very scalable. I think they also have very clear and good thinking on the legal and regulatory system, and mm-hmm. so they have a very good legal code. They you know they use crypto to do business, for example. And they just have a very low regulatory environment, but they basically have, you have the right of a landlord, right? So he sees himself not as a government, but as a landlord, right? So he makes the rules for what's acceptable. But other than that, it's basically a free market and people can do whatever they want. Yeah. The, um, yeah. So how many people live in this? Uh, What's it called again? The the one with the poor people? Ciudad Morazan. Uh-huh. All right, C I U D A D and M O R A Z A N, and uh, I don't f- think it's eighty units or something like that. So it must also be like a hundred something people that live there. Yeah, and how 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 big is it? It's small. Um, so I don't know in size wise, but it's basically imagine it like a um, uh, like a large park. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can see all the houses and like the factories with like, like one glance. Um, so it's small and quaint, but just very pleasant. And if you imagine the context of like being a very dangerous environment around, yeah. and I can see it a bit from traveling there a couple of times, it just feels um, just pleasant. You know, you see people um, playing on the playgrounds, you, you see people organizing their picnics on the outside on plastic chairs. And, you know, many of them have really awful stories of, like, violence that they experienced and where they came before. So it's just so um, making me so hopeful just to see that that's possible. Do they have, uh, like, they, they do they have to, can they live without leaving the zone? Do they have stores and restaurants and everything? So that's... Um, right now harder because the original plan was that you also have like companies light manufacturing maquilas and um, basically the jobs in the zone but they suffered from the government more than prospera because prospera is on an island they feel more safe Um, but on the mainland businesses wouldn't feel comfortable right now moving into the zone under the circumstances of the government 
So right now, in effect, people, many people work outside, so they commute, right? But there is a number of people who also have small stores or shops inside um, Ciudad Morazan. Mm, cool. I mean, can you look? I'm gonna look this up. Are there good pictures online? I want to. I just want to see what all this looks like. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Not as many as with Prospera, right? So they also stay a bit more quiet. Uh-huh. But you should follow Alex Ugorji on Twitter. I can send you his account. He's like the Morazan ambassador. And he is one of the only of two uh, or three foreigners that are there. Mm-hmm. And What's everyone his, else how is How do you spell for the readers, for the listeners? Um, U-G-O-R-J-I. Um, All right. Alex U-G-O-R-J-I. You Gordon. Mm-hmm. I'll send you his, I'll send you the Twitter. Okay, cool. Okay. This is uh yeah, this is, this is all, this is all pretty incredible. Um, what are, what challenges are there for prosperity? Assuming you're right about the government, they're not going to come shut you down. Um, what other potential pitfalls do you see in making, uh, making this thing work? Yeah. Um, so of course we want to build city level density. Right. So right now it doesn't have that yet. Right. So we want to build like a community that's self-sustaining and building things. Um, so I think that's just going to be the biggest challenge. What, what is the community going to be like? Um, to what degree or how well are you able to not have bad actors? Right. Because in the beginning stages, things are more like on a handshake basis. Mm-hmm. Right, so you need to have a high level of trust, but you also need to be able to effectively exclude bad actors from coming. Mm-hmm. Right, so I think a lot of sort of the culture, the community values, and how it's lived are set in these initial stages. And I think that will be um, the big challenge for any projects um, mm-hmm. in, in that kind of space in the future. And then, of course, um, you know, the political situation. I think we've if we're going through this successfully, which we're very close to, then we've proven we can even survive a very hostile government, right? And that um, then also means we can hopefully attract uh, bigger capital pools, mm. right? Because right now with a hostile government, you don't attract like patient um, capital pools that are very risk averse. Right now, it's mostly, you know, people from the tech world who are used to higher risk or who are like ideologically aligned or interested in investing in here. But it needs a lot more investment from like more traditional sources that, you know, build like boring real estate and things like that. And for that, we need sort of quiet on the political front. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're not looking for high, you're not looking for uh, a lot of um, flashiness. <laughs> yeah. what, what, let me ask you this. The, the government, you know, so the leftists are very anti-prospera. Like, is there, and do you feel like it's, you can talk to them or negotiate with them or work with them, or is it just, they just hate you and there's no way to do anything about that? Yeah. You have to say that even in Honduras, like, you know, the news is one thing and then what people really think or know is another thing. So most people really don't know or think much about ZAs or these zones or know anything about Prosper. Like even on the island, most people that you ask, they wouldn't have heard of it, right? So nor would they have a strong opinion. Most people even on the island have not heard of it. Yeah, exactly. So it's really um, in the current government administration, a very radical minority. Right. So it's, um, that is driving the agenda. So they are very ideologically opposed to it, but it's a very small fringe. Whereas much of the rest of the party, we speculate or think they're like, Hey, what are you doing here? Right. Because if Prosper gets like kicked out, 
who's going to want to invest in the future in Honduras, mm -hmm. right? You got like the safest, most investor protection, special economic zones. And then, you know, the government turns and kicks them out, right? Nobody will want to ever want to go to Honduras again. So even the more pragmatic voices in the left-wing government probably realize that. That said, um, to the hardcore ideological opponents, it's impossible to talk. We tried, right? There is no way of talking to them. To almost everyone else, including like pragmatic voices in the current government, They're like behind the scenes saying, yeah, um, we're kind of we're kind of cool with it, right? And much of the business community and the potential or likely future opposition parties seem to, you know, be at least neutral to what we're doing and potentially even friendly in the future. But again, mm -hmm. neutral neutral is more than enough, right? Mm -hmm. So all we need is just no political interference and we don't need like um, flashiness or a lot of attention to build like another uh, Hong Kong here. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Uh, Shenzhen and Hong Kong, yeah, they just go fly under the radar. And yeah, because people don't pay attention to slow, steady economic growth. They do if it's like China, right? If it's a big enough country, um, has geopolitical implications. But 90% of the time, which countries are growing, which countries are not growing, yeah, nobody's paying attention. No city, I mean, which city's growing, which city's not. Nobody, nobody's paying attention. So yeah, you can hopefully fly under the radar. Is there, um, You mentioned there's some like things. Uh, the, there's some uh, uh, talks about things in Africa going on. I, I remember me and Mark uh, Lutter talked about this. Is that has that gone anywhere? Um, yeah. So in Africa, there's also several projects. So I'm not um, prosperous where I focus most of my time, but I want to make this a bigger movement. Right. So we want to build like better legal systems. I think that we could need anywhere in the world. Um, but where they are most needed is parts of the world that are not developed. Right. So Africa and Latin America, uh, Asia, by the way, has tons of special economic zones. China basically grew through special economic zones. Right. So it is a proven technique that we want to use in other parts of the world to bring people from poor to rich. Uh, so Africa is um, where the Charter Cities Institute probably spends most of their time. So the interesting places there are probably in Nigeria, right? So Nigeria has a couple of private cities, special economic zones. I came from a trip to Zanzibar. Zanzibar has two projects. That's very interesting. They're, very op they're also open to doing more. Um, I heard of several projects in Kenya, but I don't know too much about them. There's one interesting project in Malawi and... Um, I think these are the main ones that I know of, but Africa and Zambia, mm -hmm. right? Zambia has one interesting project. So, and hopefully more of those in the future. Okay. And so Nicholas, tell, just tell me what's the, um, what's the sort of uh, short-term plans. You said you're having a uh, uh, kind of conference. What are you going to do the next, you know, whatever time frame you're looking at year, two years, whatever. Yeah, so I'm doing um, two conferences in November, so that will be very packed here. So if you're, I'm doing these conferences to give people a good reason to visit, right, and to sort of get a lot of exposure, to meet like the leadership team, the residents, give people a good read, because it's just difficult if people come and go all the time to meet everyone and explain it all the time. So I want to do that in a, in a bundled way. And then next year, sort of the biotech acceleration zone, so January and February. And that together with the um, finishing mm -hmm. of the construction tower, the Duna Tower, uh, we'll get to a point where we have like a 500-member strong community towards mm -hmm. the middle of the year. And I think from then on, it will sort of uh, be in a very good place. 
and then I can I'll, I'll probably be a resident here, right? So I'll live here for the foreseeable future because I think um, it's the one that's most advanced and most promising and the highest possible upside from any of these projects. But then I also want to continue working on with other zones around the world, right? So my specific focus is the technology side, sort of the um, you know, Mark Andreessen, techno optimist thing. Like we need to build like real legal shells to do these things in the real world, right? And I think it's very difficult to do that through reform in the United States. Although I'm not saying it's not possible, there are signs of hope, right? As we've also discussed in our previous episode. Um, but I think it's a good approach to make it work or de-risk it in other places in the world, right? Especially like around biotech or like energy or, um, I think there we can prove it works and then we can also like show in the United States, hi, why don't you want like more of this really beautiful technology? Because I think, you know, technology needs to save the world and we need much more of it. And I think we are vastly underperforming compared to um, what we could do. Right, if we sort of um, operate on a better, have a, have a better legal operating system to work from, rather than the current one that leads to a lot of overregulation. Yeah. So you're saying that there you can house 500. You you do you have the people who are ready to move in? Do you think so? Do you think for sure you can you'll have 500 people by the middle of next year? Yeah, I think 500 is a pretty safe bet, right? Wow. So if there's no like big bad news on like the political or government side, I think that's very likely to happen, right? So I think there's a bit of barriers to overcome for some people because they usually hear like Honduras and it's like, oh, isn't that dangerous? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I try to show people not tell, right? Because again, Rotan is super safe yeah. and super friendly. It's 60 to 80% of it is English speaking. So there's not too much cultural adjustment you even have to do. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we also expect or want most of the people in here, um, to, you know, also come from like Honduran mainland, right? So for them, it's a much easier value proposition because, you know, if it doesn't work, then you can just go um, back to where you were before, right? So that's yeah. something that I... Um, but for that, you also, you know, people, most people don't want trouble, especially if it's like normal traditional businesses, you know, media scare stories impact them, even though it doesn't make them necessarily like opposed to it, but you know, they don't want trouble. So again, that's why we need things to be calm on the political side. Yeah. And so the medical tourism, the medical, the, not medical tourism, medical, what is it? The medical innovation conference or whatever. In general, tell me what that's exactly what that's going to be about. Yeah, so there's one smaller one, November 17 to 19. I always do these three-day conferences with like introduction to the regulatory system. Then we look into different topic areas like gene therapy or rejuvenation, cell therapies or whatever. Um, and then we do a pitch competition on the last day. Um, but the bigger thing is a two-month-long biotech pop-up village. So I'm not sure if you've heard or any of your listeners have heard about Zuzalu. No, I haven't. Right. So there was a pop-up village in Montenegro that was spawned up by Vitalik Buterin. Ah. Right. So he read Balaji Srinivasan's book, The Network State, which is also kind of in the space of like new or competitive governance, um, like new ideas of cloud nations, but they also crowdfund territory in the real world. And Vitalik found that really interesting. And he said, what happens if we bring sort of all the Ethereum and frontier tech communities that I'm part of together for two months in like one place? And it was a really intellectually enriching experience in Montenegro. I was there myself for five weeks. And one of the core um, things that Vitalik is pushing forward is longevity biotech. 
And I was working very close there with friends from VitaDAO, which is a community that funds early stage longevity biotech research. But their problem is, again, FDA regulations and getting it to market. So that's why we decided to do another pop-up village for like 100, 150 entrepreneurs from the biotech, but also from the crypto spaces to come here and live and work together for two months. And I want to make this the foundation for more residents to move here, for more companies to start here, for more clinical trials and more for, you know, all these beautiful things like the gene therapies or the cavity removing mouth bacteria of the world. Yeah. I want to cover this. Can I come, can I come down there and, and just as, yeah, and, for sure. and hang out with you guys? Okay. No mm-hmm. promises yet, but I, I, I sort of, I, I think this would be awesome. I'd want to do this if possible. Um, okay, great. I mean, Nicholas, this has been, this has been fascinating and inspiring. Um, is there anything else you want to, you know, tell our listeners, anything they could do to help you or anything you want them to know about Prospera or anything else? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a show don't tell thing, right? It's hard for me to bring that across um, everything that's happening here in a short episode, right? That's why I'm doing a lot of content. I have a blog, a Substack called Stranded Technologies and a podcast called the Stranded Technologies podcast. So I'm very active on there, but the best thing really is just to experience it yourself, right? So we're very open also to people who are like skeptical. Like I talk to the media, um, even if they're skeptical about it because, you know, we have nothing to hide. It's a really pleasant experience, a really pleasant place. And you'll be very positively surprised at like the energy and especially what it does for people on the ground here locally. And um, I just hope to be able to draw a bigger social circle. So anyone who's interested in that, you know, follow me or reach out to me if you have more questions and come visit us and um, get involved, right? So if you're an entrepreneur, there is practical solutions we can build here. We don't have to argue. We can just build. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to argue. We don't have to talk. We don't have to convince. We don't even need attention. We yeah. Can, we, can, we can just build. I love that. Okay. Thank you very much, Dick. That's been great talking to you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Richard.